0: of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts today be pleasing in your sight, you who are our Savior, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. God wants all people to be saved. Are we okay with that statement? I mean, hopefully, because it's in the Bible. Right? We just read it. It's kind of the heart of our sermon text. God wants all people to be saved. And uh, it also makes sense. This is something we talk about all the time. We talked about it with the kids this morning that Jesus died on the cross for everybody in the whole world. And so it makes sense that God would want everybody in the whole world to be saved. But can you visualize what that would actually look like? This chart represents all 7.5 billion people who live in the world by country. So you can easily see which countries have the biggest population. This circle represents our country, the United States, which makes up less than 5% of the population of the whole entire world. Although it does have 350 million people in it. So our slice of the world, just our country, out of that 350 million people, How many people do we actually know? Let's think about some numbers this morning. Um, Researchers say that we start remembering the people we meet when we're five years old. And if we live in an urban environment, it's estimated that we meet, on average, three new people every day. And then the average human being lives to be 78 years old. So factor in leap years, do a little bit of quick math, and you can calculate that we will meet, each of us will meet approximately 80,000 people over our lifetime. Now, out of those 80,000 people, how many do you actually know? Well, a British anthropologist named Robin Dunbar has theorized that the average person is only able to sustain meaningful relationships with about 150 people at one time. This number 150 is called Dunbar's number, and the way he described it is there are 150 people in the world at any given time that if you were in a bar or a restaurant with some friends and one of these people came by, it wouldn't be strange for you to kind of invite them over to sit with you or to say hello. There's only 150 people in the world that you have that level of comfort and familiarity with. Maybe it's friends, maybe not necessarily, maybe it's coworkers, acquaintances, neighbors, family members. But there's only 150 people on average that you can really know well at one time. So maybe your number is a little higher, maybe your number is a little lower. Let's say it's 150. Out of the 150 people that you know the best in your life, how many of them do you actually like? Because um, just think about it. Like, let's be honest here. We've all got that one uncle who makes you know, racial jokes or is just, not appropriate or just uncomfortable to be around. We've all got that one cousin who, it's like everything is a competition and it just seems like she's constantly trying to one-up us in every single thing in life. Um, We've all got that one coworker who, I don't know what happened to them, but they're just ridiculously annoying. So out of the 150 people that you know well, I think maybe it's safe to say that there's a dozen that you really don't like very much. Is that fair? Okay, so now let's take that number and blow it back up. If you significantly dislike 12 out of your closest 150 people, that means there are 6,400 of the people that you will ever meet. That means there are 28,000 people living in America right now. That means there are 600 million people living in the world right now who if you had to hang out with them for an afternoon, you really would not enjoy it because they're kind of annoying and you would rather not spend any time at all them. 600 million people exist in the world that you probably wouldn't like very much. But we haven't even talked about people in the world who are murderers, or rapists, or child abusers. We haven't even talked about corrupt police officers, or lying politicians, or violent terrorists. We haven't even talked yet about dangerous psychopaths who have been locked up because they literally are a menace to society. When you consider who is really included in all people, you realize what a staggering statement God is making in our sermon text today. When it says God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. There's one God, and he sent one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for who? All people. It includes the people that you cannot stand. It includes the people who treat you terribly. It includes the people with whom you disagree in every possible way. God wants all people to be saved. Do we? Do we really? I mean, we know the answer is, like, yep, same as God. We want all people to be saved. But I wonder, as we read the book of Jonah, and as we laugh at how ridiculous Jonah's being, and he's crying about this plant, and he's waiting for fire from heaven to come and consume Nineveh, and we're like, come on, Jonah. I wonder if, deep down, there is a part of us that relates to Jonah better than we would like to admit. When we think of all the people that are out there, And then we see what Jonah did, where he preaches God's word, kind of against his will, to those corrupt, heathen Ninevites. And then he sits down just waiting to see if fire and brimstone will come and consume them. And he's thinking, surely this Gentile, heathen city, the the sewer of the pagan world, deserves this. But there's no destruction. Because God feels differently. God says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who, spiritually speaking, cannot even tell their right hand from their left? And as we said, the book of Jonah then ends. It doesn't tell us what Jonah's response was. I wonder if he was a little bit ashamed of himself. But again, how about you and me? So here we sit kind of in our arrogance and entitlement, thinking about the people in our life and who we like and don't really like, without even thinking of the question, how likable are we, not just to other people, but to God? How likable are we, not just to other people, but to God? God who created us to honor him and serve other people in our world, and yet... We pretty much spend most of our life finding ways to honor and serve ourself. God, who before we even had the Bible, before we had ever heard a Bible verse, God had already imprinted on our hearts his moral code. He had already put a conscience inside of us, and yet we, since the day we've been born, what have we been doing every single day? Doing things that we know are wrong, breaking God's moral code in our own conscience. How likable are we to God? Well, the Bible answers that question very clearly. It says the sinful mind is hostile to God. It says your iniquities have separated you from your God, and it says that your sins have hidden his face from you. So to say that God doesn't like our sin very much would be a massive understatement. The truth is not only does our sin ruin our relationship with God here in this world, It also threatens to separate us from God for all eternity. And yet, what did God do for us? The book of Romans puts it like this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, unlikable, unlovable, unbearable, God still wanted us to be saved so badly that he sent his only son into this world to die on the cross and rescue us. And the way that God did this, the way that God rescued us is very, very special. And it happens in a way that maybe we don't talk about as much as we could. Um, so not only, not only did God send Christ to, to die on the cross for us and change everything for us from the outside... That, you know, in terms of our relationship with God, we are pure, we are forgiven, we are washed. God says we have been made holy. Not only did God send Jesus to change our relationship with him from the outside, but God sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts. And he also actually changes us from the inside. And this is the part that maybe we don't think about or talk about quite as much, but the Bible teaches this very clearly that God has given to each one of us a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. God didn't just send Jesus to pay for your sins, but he also sent his Holy Spirit to build a new self inside of you. And that new self that you have as a Christian, it is a new identity. It is a new way of looking at yourself, but it is also a new perspective, and it is a completely new way of looking at your world. So as a Christian, day by day, more and more, God is teaching you to look at your world in the same way that he looks at it. God is teaching you to look at the people you know and like, to look at the people that you know and don't like, to look at the people who absolutely aggravate you and bother you, to look at the billions of people in the world you've never even met, and to love every single one of them so desperately that the one thing you would want is for them to get to be with you in heaven someday. God builds a view of our world like that inside of us. And as he does, all of a sudden as we're looking at our world this way, we're suddenly filled with dismay. Because the world is huge and we are so small. There are so many people who need to learn about Jesus and we have so little time. Where can we possibly start? Well, one very good option would be a city. You know, if you look at a map of the world's physical population, there's some clear trends. It's not hard to see that human beings are disproportionately clustered in the largest urban areas in our world. It's estimated that that by the year 2050, More than 70% of the world's population will live in the biggest cities. The world has urbanized a ton, especially in the last century, uh, but cities are where the people are. Now, if you would remove this and put up a different map, this one which shows the spiritual demographics of our world, believers versus unbelievers, you know what it would look like and you know where the bright spots would be. It would be pretty much the same map. Because statistically speaking, in our world, the the 2.4 billion people who don't believe in Jesus, or in our country, the 200 million people who don't believe in Jesus, where are unbelievers clustered together, disproportionately, it is in the largest urban areas. So cities are not just where the most people are, cities are where the most unbelieving people are, lost people, people who can't see their way in the dark, people who are living through this life without Christ. Cities are where the people are, but it's about more than just population density. Cities are also commercial centers, right? This is where the jobs are, it's where the big businesses are. It's also where the startups and the small businesses are, the entrepreneurs, the innovators in our society. Lots of them live in cities. Cities are intellectual centers, home to colleges, universities, there are students and professors and research and experimentation that's being done. A lot of it's happening in cities. And cities are also cultural centers, whether it's art, or music, or sports, or politics, or activism, like the things that people in our world are talking about and tuning into very frequently are the things that are happening in the cities. And there's one more factor. Cities are a place for people from all across the country and all across the world. Um, I've heard the analogy that a city is like a giant heart, and it pulls in tons and tons of people, and it sends out tons and tons of people. It pulls people in, it sends people out. It's the heartbeat of its society affecting the region, affecting the culture, affecting the country and the world. Cities are the center of civilization. They've been for thousands of years. So, we're not surprised then in the Old Testament, when God takes the time to send his Jewish Prophet Jonah, and goodness knows the Jewish people need a prophet at this time, but God takes his Jewish prophet Jonah and sends him off to the foreign land of Nineveh to the city which has 120,000 people in it, which is absolutely giant for the ancient world, and God says how could I not be concerned about that great city? The cities are where the people are, and God wants all people to be saved. We also can't be surprised in the New Testament. When Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, Uh, where do they go as soon as they possibly can? Well, they go to some of the biggest cities. If you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter, chapter 17, Paul travels to the city of Athens, which is the intellectual center of the Greek and Roman world. You think of all those philosophers debating stuff in Athens. Then, very next chapter, Acts 18, Paul goes to Corinth one of the commercial centers of the Greek and Roman world. Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus which is arguably the religious center of the Greek and Roman world. The kind of the center of false god worship of many of the Greek deities. And then by the end of the book of Acts, Paul has made his way to Rome herself. The biggest and most influential city that has ever existed in the world's history up until this point in time. Why did the apostles go to all these places. It's because cities are where the people are, and God wants all people to be saved. And then today, you've got our church body, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. We were originally founded by a bunch of German farmers who immigrated to homesteads in the rural Midwest. That's the history of our church body. But today, as the 1,200 churches of our synod are pooling their mission offerings and starting new churches, why are we doing it in places like Atlanta and Houston and Vancouver and Seattle, just to list a few of the most recent ones? It's because cities are where the people are, and God wants all people to be saved. So, here you are in your city. It's Atlanta, by the way. I'm really proud of this picture because it's specifically Atlanta. So here you are in your city, and uh, Atlanta's pretty great, I think. It may not be the intellectual, commercial, or religious center of the entire world, um, but it's a big city, and it's your city. And God has put you in this city for a reason. That reason might have originally involved school or a job or a relationship, or something else, but the very fact that you are here in church this morning proves that God brought you to this city for a much greater reason than all those things. God brought you to this city so that you can share the gospel. Nineveh has 120,000 people. Atlanta Metro is 7 million. I think the city is like 500,000 people. God brought you to this city for a reason, and it's to share the gospel. The cities are where the people are, and God wants all people to be saved. Speaking of all people, I have my favorite things about Atlanta. Maybe you have yours, but I wonder if there's one that we share. It's uh, the incredible, insane diversity that Atlanta has to offer. So last weekend, I was at the Cabbage Town Chomp and Stomp Festival. I know that some of you were as well. And as I was there, I was just looking and marveling as thousands of people came filtering through that tiny neighborhood. And I was marveling not at just the volume, but at the diversity of how many different kinds of people were all there. You had old, young, black, white, rich, poor. You had people from every possible lifestyle, every possible religion, every possible fashion choice. You have people who are running for office. You have people who don't live in a home. They live out on the streets. And you have every possible type of person wandering through Cabbage Town at the Chomp and Stomp Festival. And as you see all these people from so many different walks of life, what are the things we know about all these people? God loves every single one. Jesus died on the cross for the sins already of every single one. Eternal life in heaven is available for every single one. All that remains is for people, one at a time, to learn about God's love through their Savior, Jesus, and come to a knowledge of the truth. And this is where you come in. So, no, you can't tell every person in Atlanta about Jesus all at the exact same time. And no, you can't control how people are going to respond when you want to talk religion with them or whether they're going to like it or not. And no, you can't control what is going to happen in people's hearts when you share the gospel message with them. But what can you control? What do you have? Well, you have a heart of faith which lets you look at your world the way God looks at it. You have the message of a God whose forgiveness is 100% free and available to everyone. You have a church that's going to proclaim that forgiveness to each and every person who comes in each and every Sunday. You have a Bible basics class where you could invite a friend to study the Bible with you in a structured way, even without coming to church. And then finally, you have the ability to share your faith with people in your life who might never come to church, but they can still hear the gospel from a friend like you, telling your own story, in your own words, in your own way. So, this is why you're here. And I pray that God would bless you as you share his love with your city. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.